Luke chapter 5. I'm going to start reading at verse 12, and I'm going to read it down to the end of the chapter. Luke 5 and verse 12. And it came to pass, when he was in a certain city, behold, a man full of leprosy, who seeing Jesus fell on his face, and besought him, saying, Lord, if thou wilt, thou canst make me clean. And he put forth his hand and touched him, saying, I will be thou clean. And immediately the leprosy departed from him. And he charged him to tell no man, but go and show thyself to the priests, and offer for thy cleansing according to the Moses commanded, for a testimony unto them. But so much the more went there a fame brought of him, and great multitudes came together to hear, and to be healed by him of their infirmities. And he withdrew himself into the wilderness and prayed. That's good good thought there, but I'm not going to preach on that, but he withdrew himself. You know, we need sometimes to withdraw ourselves from the busyness of life and spend some time with the Lord. But anyway, verse 17, And it came to pass on a certain day, as he was teaching, that there were Pharisees and doctors of the law sitting by, which were come out of every town of Galilee and Judea and Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was present to heal them. And behold, men brought in a bed a man which was taken with palsy, and they sought means to bring him in and to lay him before him. When they could not find by what way they might bring him in, because of the multitude, they went upon the housetop, let him down through the tiling, which with his couch into the midst before Jesus. And when he saw their faith, he said unto them, Man, thy sins are forgiven thee. And the scribes and the Pharisees began to reason, saying, Who is this which speaketh blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? But when Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answering said unto them, What reason ye in your hearts? Whether it is easier to say, Thy sins be forgiven thee, or to say, Rise up and walk. But that ye may know that the Son of Man hath power upon earth to forgive sins, he said unto the sick of the palsy, I say unto thee, Arise, and take up thy couch, and go into thine house. Immediately he rose up before them, and took up that whereon he lay, and departed to his own house, glorifying God. And they were all amazed, and they glorified God, and were filled with fear, saying, We have seen strange things today. And after these things he went forth, and saw a publican named Levi, sitting at the receipt of custom. And he said unto him, Follow me. And he left all, rose up, and followed him. And Levi made him a great feast in his own house, and there was a great company of publicans and of others that sat down with them. But their scribes and Pharisees murmured against his disciples, saying, Why do ye eat and drink with publicans and sinners? And Jesus answering said unto them, They that are whole need not a physician, but they that are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And they said unto him, Why do the disciples of John fast often and make prayers, and likewise the disciples of the Pharisees, but thine eat and drink? He said unto them, Can you make the children of the bride chamber fast while the bridegroom is with them but the days will come when the bridegroom shall be taken away from them and then shall they fast in those days and he spake also a parable unto them no man putteth a piece of a new garment upon an old if otherwise then both the new maketh they rent and the piece that was taken out of the new agreeeth not with the old and no man putteth new wine into old bottles else the new wine will burst the bottles and be spilled and the bottles shall perish but new wine must be put into new bottles, and both are preserved. 
No man also, having drunk old wine, straightway desireth new, for he saith, the old is better. But I'd like to draw your attention, particularly to the verse 26, the end of that verse where it says, We have seen strange things today. Let's look to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for the privilege and opportunity that is ours to open your word. I pray that you would speak to our hearts through your word as we look into it today. I pray that the Spirit of God would have his will and his way and he'd be glorified. And Lord, just uh, pray that... that uh, we would see ourselves as you see us, empty, worthless, vile vessels, and yet help us to see the potential that we have by submitting our lives to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. I title this message, Jesus' Ministry, A Paradox. Now, a paradox is a statement or proposition, according to dictionary.com, a statement or proposition that seems self-contradictory or absurd, but in reality express, expresses a possible truth. So it's something that appears to be contradictory, yet it is a real truth. That's a paradox. That's really what the word strange in verse 26 is. It's, it's, the Greek word is paradoxesis where we get our word paradox, and it means contradictory. Uh, <clears throat> and to many in that day, and even today, the truths of the word of God seem contradictory. For example, James 4.10 says, Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he shall lift you up. You know, man's idea is, man's idea is you gotta, you got to promote yourself. You know, you got to, you, you know, you gotta, you got to look out for number one. Nobody else is going to look out for you. That's what the world says. No, God says, humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he shall lift you up. Matthew eleven twenty nine 29 says, take my yoke upon you. What does a yoke speak of? Work. It speaks of work. He says, take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest under your souls. So there are many things in the Bible that seem to natural man to be contradictory or paradox. And to many in Israel in this time, what Jesus is doing in this chapter is paradox. It's strange. You know, one of the other things that was said about him had never been done like this before or never seen like this before. That's, that's something that was common said about Jesus and his earthly ministry. So I want to look at several things for, that seem to be a strange paradox. First of all, in verses 12 through 13, Jesus touched a leper and cleansed him. Verse 12 says, It came to pass, when he was in a certain city, behold, a man full of leprosy. So this wasn't a guy that just, you know, wasn't sure he had, or maybe just had one little spot on him. He was full of leprosy. Who, seeing Jesus, fell on his face and besought him, saying, Lord, if thou wilt, thou canst make me clean. And he put forth his hand and touched him. Now, it, it, when it says that he put forth his hand and touched him, you know, he just didn't reach out. He just didn't reach out and like. No, the word "touched" there means he fastened himself on him. So, like this, he fastened himself on him. That is a no-no for a leper. 
In fact, in the Old Testament time, of course, when a priest was to, you know, a man thought he maybe had lepers, he was to come to the priest, and the priest was to look on him. Just look, not touch. But he touched him. You know, leprosy, the condition of leprosy is a model of sin and its effects. It's just, you know, like sin, it's, it's, it's contagious. It spreads from person to person. It's infectious. You know, Ecclesiastes 9.18 says, Wisdom is better than weapons of war, but one sinner destroyeth much good. It's infectious. It's contagious. It was, it was also in Bible times. It is no longer, really, but in Bible times, there was no known cure. It was incurable. There was no cure for it. It was a loathsome disease. You know, the Old Testament priests were to pronounce one unclean by looking at the spots. It was actually against the ceremonial law to touch them because you could get it. You know, if anybody had leprosy, that once he, he was to leave his house and he was to be put outside the camp, and you remember the four leprous men outside the gates of Samaria when, when uh, uh, was it Ahab was king? Uh, but anyway, the four leprous men outside the gates of Samaria, they were out there because they were put outside the camp. They weren't allowed to come into the city. One commentator said lepers were universally scorned by society and religion. They were especially despised by the rabbis who saw their state as the particular judgment of God. In Jesus' time, rabbis spoke about how badly they would treat lepers. One boasted that he refused to buy even an egg on a street where he saw a leper. Another bragged that he threw rocks at lepers when he saw them. Unquote. So, so these were these were you know, people that were detested or were reproached to society and, 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 and were, were, were considered outcasts and were put out the camp. Uh, and so, you know, and again, it pictures how God views sin. You know, in Matthew 26, verses 39 and verse 42, when Jesus was in the garden, Remember the Bible says he went a little further and fell on his face and prayed, O my Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou wilt. And verse 42, again, he went away the second time and prayed, saying, O my Father, if this cup may not pass away from me, except I drink it, thy will be done. What was it that was such a reproach to them? Was it, was it the, the, the cross? Or was it, was it the, 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 the mockering? What was it? No, it was that... He was to be made sin for us. Second Corinthians 5.21 says, For he hath made him to be sin for us. God made Jesus sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Uh, Hebrews 12.2 says, Looking unto Jesus, the author and finish of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and sit down at the right hand, of the throne of God. You know, the cross was the penalty for a high crime. What was his crime? He was the penalty for sin. And he despised it. You know, Jude tells us in Jude one twenty three, others say with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment. Even the garments of the lepers were hated. Hating even the garments spotted by the flesh. You see, leprosy was a 
loathsome disease. It was, a, it was a debilitating disease that corrupts a man and makes him essentially dead while he's alive. Much like sin. Ephesians 2.1 says, And you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and in sins. Colossians 2.13, And you being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, hath he quickened together with you, having forgiven you all trespasses. And so this is, this is a, a loathsome uh, debilitating, infectious disease, and yet Jesus touched him. He laid his hands on him and cleansed him. See, this is a strange thing. You know, only Jesus can clean your soul and heart of the filth of sin. You know, 2 Corinthians 7, 1 says this, Having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness, of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness and the fear of God. Hebrews 9.14, How much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? See, only the Lord Jesus Christ can cleanse you of your sins. So, Jesus, the first thing Jesus did was he touched and healed a leper. Touched and healed a leper. Second thing we notice here in verses, uh, verse 20, Jesus pronounced a man's sins forgiven. <laughs> and you wonder why they're saying strange things are done today. Notice in verse 20 it says, And when he saw their faith, he said unto him. Now you might wonder, why did he say this? He could have said, just said, take up thy bed and walk. But he said, Man, thy sins are forgiven thee. Now the word forgive is different cleanse. The word for forgive means to send away. You remember in the Old Testament, the, they would bring the scapegoats. And one of the scapegoats was offered as a sacrifice. The other one, they, the priest laid his hands on and, and confessed the sins of the people on the head of that goat. And then they would send him away out into the wilderness. And the idea is, they send this goat away, he'd never be seen again. You see, when, when, when God forgives a man his sins, he sends them away, never to be seen again. Now, there was no error in the thinking of the scribes and Pharisees. You know, it is true, if you notice what they said there, and the scribes and Pharisees began to reason, saying, who is this that blasphemeth, speaketh blasphemy? Who can forgive sins but God alone? So there was no error in, in, their, in their thinking to a certain point. It is true that only God can forgive sins. Their error is in accusing God in the flesh of blasphemy. And of course, this reminds us that only God can solve our sin problem. We can't forgive ourselves. We don't have the power or the authority to do that. Notice in verse 24 he says, the reason he said this, but that ye may know that the Son of Man hath power on earth to forgive sins. He said unto the sick of palsy, I say unto thee, rise, take up thy couch, and go into thine house. So, you know, he had, he alone, God alone has the power or the authority to forgive sins. And we must be persuaded of God's forgiveness. 
in our life. You know, Job asked a question. It's an interesting question. He said, I know it is so of a truth, but how should a man be just with God? How can a man be just with God? Of course, the psalmist said in Psalm 103, verses 2 to 4, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgiveth all thine iniquities, and healeth all thy diseases, who redeemeth thy life from destruction, who crowneth thee with loving kindness and tender mercies. You know, Colossians chapter 2, verses 13 and 14, it says, And you, being dead in your sins and uncircumcision of your flesh, hath he quickened together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses, blotting out the handwriting of the ordinances that it was against us, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross. So the law, which was contrary to us, which only condemned us, the law says the soul that sinneth it shall die. Jesus took it out of our way and nailed it, if you will, to his cross. <clears throat> You know, without the Lord Jesus Christ, we, are, we stand condemned by the law. You know, Galatians 3.10 tells us, For as many as are of the works of the law are under the curse. So if you think you're going to save yourself or forgive yourself of your own sin, you're under the works of the law, and he says, Everyone that continueth not in all things written which are written in the book of law to them. Curses everyone that continues not in all things, and there's not a man alive that can keep the whole law. And James tells us in James 2, if we offend in one point, <laughs> we're guilty of the law. In other words, if we live a almost perfect life and only commit one sin, one offense against God, we're separated. We're condemned by God. We don't meet his standard. But praise the Lord. You know, Hebrews 8.12 says, For I will be merciful to their unrighteousness, and their sins and their iniquities will I remember no more. You know, when we put our faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, he's forgiveth all our iniquities. He sends them away as far as the east is from the west. So far hath he removed our transgressions from us. Hebrews 10, 17 says, And their sins and iniquities will I remember no more. You see, only God forgive, but we must receive it by faith. And the Bible says here, When Jesus saw their faith, he said, Man, thy sins be forgiven thee. Romans 5.1 says, Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So, as we think about strange things, strange to the natural man, paradoxes it seems, Jesus touched a leper and cleansed him. And then he pronounced a man forgiven of his sins. The third thing he does, which is contrary to... Um, man's way of thinking, he calls a publican to discipleship. Now, 
verse 27 through 32 it says, And after these things he went forth and saw a publican named Levi, sitting at the receipt of custom. Levi's Matthew, by the way. And he said unto him, Follow me. And he left all, rose up, and followed him. And Levi made a great feast in his own house. And there was a great company of publicans and of others that sat down with them. But their scribes and Pharisees murmured against the disciples, saying, Why do you eat and drink with publicans and sinners? Notice the category of the publicans here. Uh, and Jesus answered and said unto them, They that are whole need not a physician, but they that are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. So Jesus calls a publican to discipleship. Now publicans were, were Jewish people that contracted with the Roman government to collect taxes of their own people. And, so the, and, and it was legal by the Romans, according to the Romans, if, if the publican, uh, he, could, he could ask for the tax that the Romans required, but he could add to that tax and keep the extra for himself if he so desired, and many of them did. And so they were considered by their own people as traitors. I mean the scum of the earth. Matthew Henry said this in his commentary, It was a wonder of his grace that he would call a publican from the receipt of custom and to be his disciple and follower. It was a wonderful condensation that he should admit poor fishermen to that honor, men of the lowest rank, but much more wonderful that he should admit publicans, men of the worst reputation, men of ill fame. In this, Christ humbled himself and appeared in the likeness of sinful flesh. By this, he exposed himself and got the invidious character of a friend of publicans and sinners. Unquote. And you notice again in verse 30 it says, But their scribes and Pharisees murmured against the disciples, saying, Why do you eat and drink with publicans and sinners? And so, you know, Jesus calls a publican to discipleship. The worst of the worst, if you will. A man of, of, of ill fame of bad reputation, to be one of his followers, one of his disciples. But you know, this also reminds us, if you notice in verse 32, he said, I came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. One commentator said, some people think they will come to Jesus for a little bit of cosmetic surgery. They don't think they are sick but they think they could use a little improvement. Jesus, the great physician, only admits patients who see themselves as truly sick and in need of a doctor. You see, the Pharisees and the scribes murmured against the disciples you know, and asked them, why do you eat with publicans and sinners? They didn't see themselves as wicked sinners in need of repentance. They maybe need a little help. Well, they didn't need that. One person said, the church is the only group in the world where you have to be unqualified before you can join. Now think about that statement a little bit. Only Jesus Christ can qualify you. Only Christ can qualify you. Somebody says, Jesus doesn't call the fit. 
He fits the called. He fits the called. In Acts 9.34, Peter said unto him, speaking to Ananus, who was a crippled man, Jesus Christ maketh thee whole. Arise, make thy bed, and he rose immediately. Now, when Jesus Christ maketh thee whole, he, he's talking about his whole person. Spirit, soul, and body. Again, 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For he hath made him to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Colossians 1.12-14, Giving thanks unto the Father, which hath made us meet, or fit, that word meet means to be fit, or uh, of use, to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light, who delivered us from the power of darkness and translated us into the kingdom of his dear son, in whom we have redemption through his blood, even, as, even the forgiveness of sins. You see, Jesus doesn't call the fit. He fits the called. Think about Paul's testimony. When writing to Timothy in 1 Timothy 12, uh, 1, 12 to 15, he says, I thank Christ Jesus our Lord, who hath enabled me, for that he counted me faithful, putting me in the ministry who was before a blasphemer and a persecutor and injurious, but I obtained mercy because I did it ignorant and unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was exceeding abundant with faith and love, which is in Christ Jesus. This is a faithful saying worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. The story is told of George Whitfield that sometimes in his preaching he'd make this statement. My friends, Jesus will take even the devil's castaways. This expression, however, offended Lady Huntington, who was a noble person, who was a warm friend of Whitfield's. She thought the expression savored of irreverence and was not becoming on the lips of a gospel preacher. She is reported to have taken... Whitfield to task for it, and he listened humbly, then sometime later asked one of his, one who had been converted through his ministry to go and see Lady Huntington and give her the story of his conversion. He told her how he had been down in the very depths of sin, a drunkard and a blasphemer, until at last he felt the only thing left was suicide. He would rather risk unending misery in the world to come to that than continue in the awful wretchedness which sin had brought into his life here. And so with this in mind, he was on his way early one morning to throw himself into the river Thames and end it all as he thought. When passing by Moore's fields, he saw a great throng gathered at that early hour and found they were listening to the great field preacher, George Whitfield. Drawing near to the outskirts of the crowd, he heard the, the stentatorian voice of the evangelist exclaim, My friends, Jesus will take even the devil's castaways. He went home to his heart, and he came to Christ. See, as Lady Huntington listened to the story, tears for her eyes, when she met Whitfield again, she said, don't be afraid to tell them that Jesus will take even the devil's castaways. You see, it's kind of a strange thing. What business would hire a publican? And yet Jesus said to 
Levi, who is considered by commentators to be one of the chief publicans, follow me. And he left all and followed him. These are strange things, are they not? You know, all these, all these men acted in faith. The leper said, if thou wilt. If thou wilt. He did not say, if thou can. He said, if thou wilt. He said, if thou wilt, thou canst make me clean. That word canst is the Greek word dunamai. Sound familiar? It means capable, strong, powerful. We get our word dynamite from that. He said, if thou wilt, thou canst make me clean. Leprosy was considered uh, incurable. But he came to the Lord and said, if thou wilt, if it's your will. And of course, Jesus said, I will. The lame man, verse 20 it says, and when he saw their faith, the faith of the man who helped him in his faith, he said, man, thy sins are forgiven thee. Levi, who, when he was called, left his lucrative job and publicly identified with Jesus. Notice again verse 28, 29. It says, he left all, rose up, and followed him. And Levi made him a great feast in his own house, and there was a great company of publicans and of others that sat down with them. You know, again, all these actors, Levi, it took faith for Levi to leave his lucrative, comfortable job to follow and identify publicly with the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, these, these are certainly strange things in the eyes of the world. And yet, only God can do that which is impossible. And God's ways are not our ways. And his thoughts are not our, our thoughts. In 1 Corinthians chapter, chapter 1, go to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. <clears throat> and verses 26 to 31. 1 Corinthians 1, verse 26. For you see your calling, brethren, how that not many wise men act the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. But God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise, and God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty, and base things of the world and things which are despised hath God chosen... Yea, and things which are not, to bring to naught things that are, that no flesh should glory in his presence. But of him are ye in Christ Jesus, who of God is made unto us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption, that according as it is written, he that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord. You see, what you see here in these men and these acts that Jesus did, it's contrary to human reasoning.
And yet, Jesus chooses, God chooses base things, despise things, things that are not, that no flesh of glory. And, and, but you notice in verse 30 it says, But of him are ye in Christ Jesus, who of God is made unto us. He gives to us. As we put our faith and trust in him, he gives unto us wisdom, righteousness, that's the right conduct. You know, this leprous man was never the same afterwards. Levi was never the same. Levi never cheated another man after this encounter with Jesus. In fact, he was made one of the twelve. He's made into us wisdom, righteousness, sanctification, and redemption. You see, God uses sometimes mysterious and strange things to bring glory to himself. And he ends this passage with a parable to illustrate this truth. And it's kind of like saying oil and water don't mix. If you notice in verse 36, he says, He spake also a parable unto, the, unto them. He's talking to the same people here, the scribes and Pharisees. No man putteth a piece of a new garment upon an old, if otherwise, then both the new maketh the rent, and the piece that was taken out of the new agreeeth not with the old. And no man putteth new wine into old bottles, else the new wine will burst the bottles and be spilled, and the bottles shall perish. But new wine must be put into new bottles, and both are preserved. You know, they were, they were clinging, what he's saying here, they were clinging to the old economy, if you will, the old covenant. And Jesus said, I'm bringing in a new covenant. You are trusting in the old way of doing and doing and doing and offering sacrifices, but I'm bringing in the new, a new way. That sacrifice is myself, and you just need to put your faith and trust in me. You see, when he said, he took, uh, in Colossians, when, it, when he said he... Uh, took the ordinances and nailed them to his cross, he brought an end to the old covenant. He fulfilled it. And we are no longer under the old. You know, Paul said the old never made the, the comers perfect, but the bringing in of a better covenant did. Every year, those people in the Old Testament had to bring another sacrifice, another sacrifice, another sacrifice, another sacrifice. Every year. It never made them perfect in the eyes of God. It only covered their sin. But the new does make us perfect in God's sight. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God. So he said, you can't mix the old with the new. You've got to be willing to leave the old and accept the new. He said, the new covenant can make a publican an honest man. So 
So, yes, we have seen strange things today. You know, again, and of course, all these things prove that Jesus is more than just a mere man. It also proves that with God, nothing is impossible. You know, God can take the worst of sinner and make him a saint. God can take the biggest scoundrel in society and make him a disciple of his that pleases and honors the Lord. If he'll simply, by faith, follow him. Are you following him? Are you a willing have you come to him by faith? Have you put your trust and your dependence on him? I remind you what the leper said. Lord, if thou wilt, thou canst make me clean. Do you have that kind of faith this morning?